Welcome to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church Podcast. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to step into the life God has for you. For more information about our church, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com. As Jason mentioned this morning, we begin this morning our series centered around the season of Advent. And this morning, the theme is that of hope. But the question that many of us have to wrestle down this morning that we have to take hold of is, Luke, in the midst of my circumstances, our condition, why should I have hope? This morning, we want to try to create some handles of what that looks like for us in our daily lives. And we're going to be looking at Isaiah. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll join me in Isaiah 42. And as you are traveling there, let me pray for us. God, may your blessing be upon us this day. So Father, for that reason, we pray now that you will give us ears to hear and eyes to see those things that you would have us know and do. And Father, because of the hope that we have in you, may that truth manifest courage in our hearts so that we can walk in true freedom. So God, for those that are in bondage this morning, I pray for freedom. I pray pray that the, the shackles that hold them back will be let loose so that they can truly step into the life that you have for them. And Father, we pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people say, amen. Isaiah chapter 42, I'm going to pick up in verse 18, and I'm going to read through chapter 43, verse 3, and then we're going to jump into Matthew's gospel, chapter 1. I'm going to be reading this morning uh, out of the New Living Translation, so I know that it is my custom to read out of the ESV, so if you're like, ah, I just now bought this, and so I can follow him and stop being confused, I tricked you, all right? All right, Isaiah chapter 42, uh, beginning of verse 18. A little bit of context before we jump in. This is, as Jason was mentioning to, uh, earlier this morning, Israel finds himself in bondage in Babylon. So Isaiah He is the preacher, the prophet of this season, and he is speaking uh, to a congregation of hearers through chapters 42 and 43, and he is speaking directly into their bondage. So for any of us, and it is more than what we want to admit, that find themselves enslaved to anything or any person this morning, May these words be used as a source of encouragement, just like it was to Israel when Isaiah spoke them for the first time. Verse 18, listen, you who are deaf, look and see, you blind. Who is as blind as my own people, my servant? Who is as deaf as my messenger? Who is as blind as my chosen people, the servants of the Lord? You see and you recognize what is right, but you refuse to act on it. You hear with your ears, but you don't really listen. 
Because he is righteous, the Lord has exalted his glorious law. But his own people have been robbed and plundered, enslaved, imprisoned, and trapped. You see, they are fair game for anyone and have no one to protect them, no one to take them back home. So who will hear these lessons from the past and see the ruin that awaits you in the future? Who allowed Israel to be robbed and to be hurt? It was the Lord against whom we have sinned. For the people would not walk in his path, nor would they obey his law. Therefore, he poured out his fury on them and destroyed them in battle. They were enveloped in the flames, but they still refused to understand. They were consumed by fire. But they did not learn their lesson. Chapter 43, verse 1. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. And when you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Verse 5, do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will gather you and your children from the east and west. I will say to the north and to the south, bring my sons and my daughters back to Israel from the distant corners of the earth. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. And now Matthew's gospel, chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. In light of the predicament that Isaiah reveals, and in the promise of a rescue, here, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. And this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break off the engagement quietly. And as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid. Take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, who said, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. I have become persuaded that the, one of the most important words in Christmas, it is actually a preposition. It's a small word. It's an unassuming word. But it is 
pregnant with reality and truth and change and encouragement and inspiration. It is this word, with. The angel said to Mary, Do not be afraid. God is with us. She said, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. John said in John chapter 1, verse 1, if you will recall, in the beginning before Christmas was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was nothing, anything made that was made. Short theology lesson, and it'll be short, I promise, because you don't look like you can take much more than that. So it's going to be short, all right? If I'm reading the Gospel of John right, chapter 1, What he is saying that in the beginning, there was not just this one. Instead, there was a tribe. There was a community. They perfectly developed themselves in one another, complementing one another. They were made known and full through and in one another. The glory rested Not simply in one, completely, but in one through the others. And in others, there was no envy. There was absolutely no misunderstanding. There was no anger. There was no irritation. Never did two gang up on the third. They complimented each other. They were so perfectly one with one another that they were one, yet they were distinctly different at the same time. And they so cherished and elevated the distinctness and the difference of the others that in this and through this, they were completely free. But it gets better. Because 11 verses later, in the Gospel of John, we read these words. That this word that was with the others became flesh and dwelled, what? With us. When you start reading the Christmas story and the words that are found in the New Testament, through the lens of we and through the lens of with, it changes everything. Everything, which is why in each and every one of us, there is this deep desire to live in what is referred to as the shared life, to live within community, to be with one another. And even though we do our best to mess this up, oftentimes seeing the dysfunction or the brokenness, or the sin in the other, we elevate it, all the while excusing, or explaining, or allowing to be defined our own sin in us. 
Each and every one of us who have and are a part of a community, we know that at times dysfunction enters into that. Yet we all desperately long for a place to be known, to be loved, to be accepted, to be vulnerable. As Genesis says, to be naked, to not hide. I think that this is why... At Christmas time, we so desperately long to gather around tables, around the tree, in living rooms, at parties. We just simply, intuitively, we all know that we were created. We have a vision to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. To experience a shared life. And I think that that can be explained through this simple preposition. With. It's in you, in other words. It's a small word, but when you start looking, you start to see it everywhere. For example, in Mark's gospel, Jesus chooses 12 and he calls them the apostles so that the apostles may be what? With him. And while they are with him, he sends them out. And this is the instruction for you and I. No matter if you're a preacher or a teacher or a leader or no matter where you find yourself in life, it falls within that order. You are first with him. And you cannot be with him long before you know that you were created and instructed to be sent out. It was the prodigal son. There's the story where the elder son is outside and he's peering through the window. And the father has gathered the prodigal son around a table and they are feasting and they are celebrating. And what does the elder son say? I have spent all of my life slaving for you. And how does the father respond? Son, all of these years you have been with me and because of that all that I have it is yours it was Jesus who was not only criticized by the Pharisees and the scribes for what he did but more so for who he was with why does your teacher sit with the sinners and the tax collectors. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he watched his closest friends, beginning with Peter and then Judas, began to pull away from him. And it was at the Last Supper that we read, A time is coming, Jesus said. And in fact, a time has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home, You will leave me alone, but I am not alone. Why? Because the Father is with me. 
After the resurrection, he joins two disciples along the road on the way to Emmaus. They walk seven miles and they gather in the disciples' home. And Luke chapter 24 said that the disciples urged him strongly to stay with them for the night. So he went and he stayed with them. And upon realizing who he was, these disciples, when they woke up, they sprinted back and they found the 11 who were gathered together. And scripture says, suddenly, Jesus stood with them. He gathered on a mound outside of Jerusalem Hours before he ascended. And Jesus says, surely I am with you always, right up until the end of the age. Translation, there is never a time when I am not with you. Standing on the island of Patmos, John is an old man. He stands on the shore and he looks up towards heaven. And we see John's revelation in chapter 21 of Revelation when John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell, what? With them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. I think oftentimes, when we think about bondage, and we think about deliverance, and we think about freedom, we think through the lens of four. If God doesn't do something for me, well, it's hopeless. If God doesn't do something for me, well, what's to be done? But the beauty of Christmas is that it's all about with. You see, being with someone is presence. It's attention. It's partnership. Being with someone is discovery. Being with someone, it's giving one's energy to another. Being with someone it's all about solidarity. You see, when you're for someone, it's about advocacy. It's about compassion. It's about assistance. It's about relief. And you can be for someone without being with someone. You can throw resources. But you cannot be with someone for long without then being for them. Because the longer that you are with someone, the more you begin to understand what it is that you are uniquely gifted for. 
and how you can enter into their struggle, their bondage, their circumstance, their situation. When you're with someone, their heart, you decide eventually, I got to do something for them, in other words. When you're for someone, you open their eyes, you open their prisons, you try to set the captives free. But when you're with someone, you enter into their prisons. You get beneath their burdens and you help them carry it. And this is why you cannot be with someone for very long until you become for that individual. When you're with someone, in other words, their life becomes your life. It's crucial. It's important. And make no mistake about it. Don't hear what I'm not saying. God is for you. This is why we celebrate the resurrection and Easter and Pentecost. This is why we celebrate the ascension because God did what only God could do. You are better just because God is. God has a way when he is for you of pulling your narrative into his narrative. So God unmistakably is for you. But that's not what Christmas is about. That's why Christmas is different. Christmas is God being incarnate, being with us. I've enjoyed over the last several months studying and reading through uh, in preparation for Advent, the sermons of Isaiah. And when you read the stories of Isaiah through the lens of with, Instead of the lens of four, well, new meaning certainly comes to the surface and begins to rise up. And when you read the scriptures through the lens of with instead of through the lens of four, then there are some fundamentally different interpretations that begin to arise. In the Old Testament, for instance, there are two main events. Jason referred to them earlier in his welcome. One involves Egypt, and one, the other, it involves Babylon. Now, they seem, at first glance, when you are reading them through the lens of four, to be the same event. There's bondage. There's deliverance. There's the promise and the hope of freedom. But when you begin to read through the lens of with, it takes on a different meaning. When you read, in other words, Israel being held in bondage under Pharaoh in Egypt, when you read it through the lens of four, then the question that arises is, When are we going to get to the promised land? What are we going to eat? But when you read through the lens of with, the fundamental question becomes, well, what you see in Exodus chapter 33. God, will you go with us? Remember, Moses goes up on the mountain 
He intercedes on behalf of the people because God is so angry at their disobedience. And God says, you take them, but I will not go. And how does Moses' response? Don't send us unless you go with us. Because if you're not with us, what separates us from every other person on the face of the planet? Moses has this fundamental reality, and it is it is a holy conviction that God, if you are with us, nothing can come against us. No circumstance, no condition, no diagnosis. If you are with us, it's going to be okay. And then you have the prophet Isaiah. When Israel was in bondage in Egypt, it was not their fault. They were overthrown. They were taken. But in Babylon, it was their fault. So Isaiah in chapter 42 and chapter 43, that's just one long sermon. You thought my sermons were long. Isaiah's were longer. Isaiah is looking at his congregation one morning, much like I'm looking at you this morning. And he is saying, don't you see? The burdens that you have, the problems, the weight that you're carrying, you caused them. God has given you eyes to see, but you have shut them. He's given you ears to hear, but you don't listen. And that congregation that morning, they had to ask this question. Well, what are we to do? How are we going to get out of this? To know that God must deliver us is a far deeper truth than knowing that God will deliver us. Because of his nature, because of his character, he must deliver us. And Isaiah is saying that God just can't throw an external miracle in this situation. Because if he just throws an external miracle to your problem, that you're just going to gravitate towards another oppressor. You're just going to take hold of another addiction. You're going to replace one with another. So how does God deliver us? Isaiah says that there's going to be one that comes. And make no mistake about it, he's going to be for you. But there's a greater reality here that must be wrestled down. 
He's also, he's going to be with you. His spirit is going to dwell within you. And he is going to create a community that will surround you, that will be with you, that will live life among you. And as I reflect on Isaiah's sermons, two themes seem to emerge. The first is, one is the way that God is with us is that he is entering into our prisons with us. Confession. As I reflect on the majority of my prayers, most of my prayers are what can God do for me or what God can do for you or what God can do for us or what God can do for them. And the older that I am getting, the more that I am realizing the power that comes through companionship. Simply, God is with me to the end of the age. In other words, no matter where you find yourself today, no matter the diagnosis, no matter the circumstance, no matter the condition, no matter the relational dysfunction, and it is proper, and it is appropriate, and it is out of obedience for you to pray that God do something for you. But may we find our peace and our joy, not in what he does for us, but in the reality that he is with us. The second thing that emerged for me after reading Isaiah's sermon was that we are called to be with others in the world. Now notice, I did not say for. I said with. There is a difference. And I think over the last several years, really decades, we have seen this. That there is a cause. There is a passion. There is a movement. And we become for that. But eventually, what you will notice in the church and in the world, that compassion fatigue eventually settles in. Why? Because we don't see the difference that we long for. Why? Because they return to their oppressors. Why? Because we haven't really offered the antidote. We haven't opened their eyes. We haven't opened their ears. So instead of just simply being for, what would it look like if we were with? If we were truly with others? What is it that the New York Times 
writer said about Princess Diane and Mother Teresa in regards to poverty. The New York Times writer said that Mother Teresa was a resident while Princess Diane, she was just a tourist. Mother Teresa was with them. She understood it. She entered it. And it carries different weight. I want to read an excerpt from a book by an author named Philip Yancey. And Yancey writes... My roommate for two years at a Christian college was a German named Rainer. Returning to Germany after graduation, Rainer taught at a camp for the disabled. Relying on college notes, he stood up and gave stirring speeches to the disabled on the victorious Christian life. He would say, regardless of the wheelchair that you sit in, You can have victory and life in full. God lives with you. That's what he said to a congregation of paraplegics, cerebral palsy patients, and the mentally challenged. And he found that it was disconcerting to preach to people with poor muscle control whose heads wobbled, slumped in their chairs, and they drooled. They found it equally disconcerting to listen to Rainer. Some of them went to Greta, the director of the camp, and they complained that they could not make sense of what he was saying. So she said, well, tell him. One brave woman got up the courage and confronted Rainer. She said, it's like you're talking about the sun, but we're in a room that is dark and it has no windows. We can't understand anything that you say. You talk about solutions about flowers outside, about overcoming and talking about victory, but these things simply don't apply to our lives. Well, my friend was crushed, said Yancey. To him, the message was clear. He was quoting from the Apostles' epistles. His pride was wounded, and he thought about coming back the next week with just more spiritual bludgeon. There's something wrong with you people. You need to grow But instead, he spent the night in prayer. And then the following day, he returned with a different message. He stood before them and he said, I don't know what to say. I'm confused. If I can't preach a message of victory, well, I'm out of stuff. And then he began to cry. And the woman who had confronted him earlier, she finally spoke up from a room full of disabled people and said, now we understand you. Now we hear you. Now we are ready to listen. I guess my question to you is who is God calling you to be with? Not who is God calling you to be for. That's important. But who is God calling you to be with? Is it the oppressed? Is it the terminally ill? 
Is it the emotionally unstable? Is it the agnostic? Is it the atheist? Is it the critic? Is it the broken? Is it the mom who is just absolutely this morning overwhelmed by life? Is it the chronically sick? Is it the one who the doctors have stood before this week and said, we have done everything we can? And they have just simply let them go. Who has God called you to be with? I want to close this morning by reading you. Isaiah talked about what we read earlier about being blind and about being deaf and about what are we going to do? Our oppressors, they are surrounding us. Our circumstance, our condition, it seems very, very, very bad. So what are we to do? Where is our hope? Romans chapter 8, verse 31 What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? So who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself have given us the right Standing with him, who then will condemn us? No one, for Jesus Christ died for us, and he was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor before God at his right hand, pleading, interceding for us at this very moment. So therefore, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that we no longer, he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Or if we are persecuted, are hungry, are destitute, are in danger, are threatened with death. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Not death, nor life, not angels or demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow Not even the power of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever, ever separate us from the love of God that is revealed through Christ Jesus. That is the power of with. So with every head bowed and with every eye closed, God, Would you reveal in our hearts through the working of your spirit this morning those people, those individuals, that person, that nation that you have called us to be with. This is the power of community. This is the power of belonging. God, may this week, may it be filled with tables that have no empty chairs around them. May this week be filled with 
cups of coffee, sitting at a table, leaning in, hearing the words, me too. May this week be filled with more than just compassion for others. May this week be filled with presence. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, would you stand to your feet as we close in worship this morning? Thanks for listening to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church podcast. We hope this message has inspired you to take a next step in your walk with Jesus. For more messages or to watch our full worship gathering on demand, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com.